0: Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing today? So good to be all the way up here in Quakertown with you guys this week, man. I'm excited to be able to continue our series through the book of Ephesians. How many of you have been joining the, the book of Ephesians together? I love, yeah, I love when we take time to just break down God's word and just take our time and really kind of explore all that it has to say for us. And hopefully it's been challenging to you and you've been taking time to read through the book of Ephesians on your own, studying. And man, it's been a great time. We're going to be starting the second half of Ephesians today. We'll be in chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, uh, and you can bring your Bibles to church. It's actually encouraged, even though we have the verses up there, bring your Bible as well. But Ephesians chapter four, we're going to be looking at the first half, verses one through 16. And let me just ask you a question. How many of you um, have ever had a time in your life where you realized that you were not uh, as healthy as you needed to be? Like you just had maybe it happened during this last year with COVID and everything else, but you just had a, a moment where you realized that you just weren't as healthy as you should be. I was thinking about I don't I don't often go to the doctor. Anybody else, like, I don't go unless, like, I need to. It's an emergency, something happened. I don't go very often, but I was feeling during this this last year uh, that things in my body were not, like, as good as they should be. I I was kind of coming to the reality that I'm just getting a little bit older, um, that I probably need to take a little bit better care of myself, and that I'm not as healthy as I need to be, and it was probably time for... For that checkup, that physical. So uh, I called and made an appointment. And when I called, they said to me, Well, you're not a, a client anymore because it's been so long since you've been here. Apparently, it'd been like four years or so, and they, they get rid of you if it's been that long. Um, and so they were like, We need to make you a new a new client. But they got me an appointment about a month and a half later, I went to the appointment with a whole list of things that I felt like were wrong with me that I wanted to make sure were not wrong, and they were just, you know, the effects of getting older. And so I go to the to the doctor and I, I go through the whole process. Status, got the blood work uh, ordered. Got an X-ray because there was something going on with my foot that I needed to get. checked I got injured like six years ago when I worked with the teenagers and never went to the doctor. So I figured it was time to get that checked out um, because, again, getting old. Uh, I, I got on the scale. I realized I hit an all-time new personal record. So that was awesome. Um, I don't know if that's something to brag about, but. Uh, There was some some of that going on, and uh, essentially after this whole meeting and, you know, set up all the follow-up appointments and the blood work and the cholesterol and everything else, uh, the doctor essentially just told me, listen, you're not as young as you used to be, uh, and you need to take better care of yourself. Like, there's some areas and some changes that you need to make if you want to function as best as possible. You need to get this weight under control and lose some weight. You need to change your your diet up a little bit. You need to have better sleep habits and and not drink coffee at 11 o'clock at night. You need to do some things differently if you want to function at the optimal way. I mean, you can keep going the way you're going, but you're not going to be functioning the way you're supposed to. You're not going to be at that peak performance. You need to make some changes. And often in our lives, that's what it takes, right? it's those, those moments that we have to have that face-to-face, that reality, where we have to face the facts in our lives, in our physical lives, that we're not as healthy as we need to be or as we should be. And if we want to be healthy, then we're going to have to make some changes. We're going to have to do some things different in order to, to be healthy. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, it's kind of like that, that checkup. But instead of talking about our physical bodies, what Paul does in this portion of scripture is he talks about another body the body of Christ and the health in the body of of Christ. And listen, if you're a follower of Christ, if you are a person who would consider yourself a Christ follower Christian, then the Bible is clear that you are part of that, that body. We think back to Ephesians chapter one when we started this series, Paul said this in verse 22 through 23, he said, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Another verse that that very clearly and plainly says it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, it says, all of you together, talking about followers of Christ, are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. We are the body of Christ, And, and just as we should be concerned about our physical health, We should. Like, you should be concerned about your physical health. You should be concerned about taking care of yourself. Those are all good things. But even more than just our physical health, we should be concerned with the health of our body, as the body of Christ. Just as when we don't take care of our physical bodies, it keeps us from functioning the way we should, when we don't take care of our our spiritual body, the body of Christ, when we don't do the things that we're supposed to do as a body, it keeps us from functioning the way that God has created us to function. And here's what I want you to understand. God's desire is for Christ to be fully expressed through his church. Like, you have to understand, we talk about this all the time, but we fully believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, that the world is very broken. I think we can all agree on that. And and the only hope for change is Jesus. But here's the thing, the church The body of Christ has always been his tool to bring the mission of hope to the world. And we cannot do that fully if we're not healthy. We can't operate the way that God has called us to operate if we're not fully healthy. And so this morning, I want this to be a little bit of a church body spiritual health check in our lives. As we look at this portion of scripture, now before we break down this portion of scripture, I want to kind of just break down the entire overview of the book of Ephesians really quick, just in case you weren't here, but just to kind of understand how we arrived where we're at today. Uh, we've talked about this a lot at the other campus, but the book of Ephesians really can be kind of broken into two parts, right? You have the what they often call the indicative imperative motives, right? The first half, the first three chapters um, are, are that indicative side, which is essentially information and facts about who we are in christ all the information about about what jesus has made possible what god has done his plan throughout history and if you are in christ what does that mean for you you could really you could really kind of define it like this it's it's how god sees us in christ and can i just say like if you haven't been here throughout these last few weeks right go back and listen to the sermons and continue to read it because there is so many life changing, I mean, like spiritually life changing, transforming truths in those first three chapters that if we would get a hold of in our walk with the Lord, if we would really grasp who we are, what God has done, it is completely life changing. So he starts with all of those things who we are in Christ, what he's done, and then he goes into this second half, which we start with chapter four, where he really kind of goes from who we are in Christ and I think you could define this second one, not only who we are in Christ, but how the world should see Christ in us. Like what is our response to all that we've learned? What's the response to all that Christ has done? What's the response if we are truly followers of Christ? How should it impact our lives? How should it transform our our lives? Because our beliefs, how many of you understand our beliefs should impact our behaviors? Like our beliefs should transform our actions. It should cause us to live a certain way. So in response to what Christ has done, in response to what he has made possible for us, what does our lives look like? That's why Paul states at the beginning of this section we're about to look at, he says this word, it's a really important word, he says, therefore. That's how he transitions into this next section. He says, therefore. In other words, he says, because of everything else we just talked about, because of all the things we've explored over these last eight weeks, all the different things about your identity, what Christ has done, in response to those, here's what your life should look like. And over these next few weeks and all the, over these next few chapters, we're going to explore all different areas that our, our faith and our beliefs should, should change the way that we live and our, our behavior in our our lives, in response to all that was written. And, and today, specifically, he's going to look at our, our identity as Christians inside the greater body of the church, in response to what Christ has done, in response to the fact that you've been chosen, that you've been adopted into God's family, uh, because of all that Christ has done in that way, because he's brought you in, because he's redeemed you, because he's reconciled you to God and reconciled us to each other, because of all of those things, he's given you the Holy Spirit, he's poured out his grace in your life, given you unmerited favor, what you don't deserve. In response to that, Here's what it should look like practically lived out in community, in church. Can I just say, if this is your church, this should be our desire. Like, this should be our desire. This is not something we should hear and go, yeah, it doesn't really apply. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a part of something that is way bigger than yourself. And specifically, we live this out in the context of our church body, our local church body. And so if this is your church and you are a follower of Christ, this should be something that is deeply close to your heart, something that you are very passionate about because we belong to each other. We're united together. So what does this look like? And we look at these verses. Paul's really gonna focus on on three areas of, of healthy bodies that we need to be pursuing as well. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing he talks about as we look at this portion of scripture is that healthy bodies are united. Healthy bodies are united. Let's look at the first six verses of Ephesians 4, ready? It says, therefore I... A prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future." There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Paul starts this this fourth chapter by talking about the importance of unity, especially in regards to a healthy body. What does it look like to be united? And really, he talks about three areas in that this portion of scripture right there, that we need to be pursuing unity, that we need to be united in. The first thing, he says we need to understand that we are united in calling. He, he starts off by saying to, to lead a life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that to understand that you have been called by God. And so your life should reflect that calling. When we understand what God has done for us, when we understand that he has called us, when we understand that he has brought us from spiritually dead and made us spiritually alive, when we understand that we were far off from God and there was nothing we could do to change it, but he brought us near, that he called us, adopted us, brought us in, the way we live should naturally flow out of that. A heart of obedience, an attitude of gratitude through what God has done because of what God has done. Understanding who we are is the foundation for that. Like, understanding your calling is, is vital for, for, for the way that we live our lives. Right beliefs always precede right behavior. You understand that? Like, when you believe the right thing, it enables you to live the right way. If you don't believe the right thing, then your actions won't often be right. But when you believe the right thing, you have the right beliefs. And, and when I say this, it's not just about believing, like, just kind of like, like we believe in things that aren't really real, like, I don't want to ruin any kid's dreams here. You know what I'm talking about. It's talking about really believing, believing to the point that we give everything for it. When we really believe and understand what God has done for us, who he has done, his calling in our lives, what he has made us, when we really believe that, it should affect our our behaviors. Our behaviors flow out of our right beliefs. The idea is, is clear, is that we don't walk worthy of our calling so that we can earn God's love. Like there's nobody in here, you could just do enough right stuff to all of a sudden make God love you and be like, all right, you know what? You've, you've done enough good to make up for all the wrong you've done in your life. You're finally acceptable. You're worthy. You're No. The truth is we never tip the scales in our favor. If that's what you're trying for, you'll be trying forever. But it's in response to what God has done, in response to the fact that he's called us, and he's invited us in, and he's adopted us into his family. Even when we were a mess, even when we were caught in sin, even when we were We're we're fallen and we continue to fall. He still loves us and calls us and chooses us and brings us in to his family. And we are united in that calling. If you are in Christ, you've been called by God. You've been invited to be a part of something bigger than yourself. I love how Paul says it in Philippians 1.27. He says, above all. In other words, this is the most important, ready? He says, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. First and foremost, he says, you are citizens of heaven. Your allegiance, if you are in Christ, is first and foremost and overall to his kingdom more than anything else, more than your citizenship here in America, more than your rights and your freedoms here in America. First and foremost, you are a citizen of heaven. And when you live and you go about your life, you represent Christ first and foremost. You represent ultimately your allegiance to him in everything you do and say. Everything flows from our calling. And so the question we have to ask ourselves as we look at our church is, are we united in our calling? Are we practicing unity in our calling? Are we challenging each other to live lives that are worthy of our calling? Number two leads to the second thing he talks about is that not only are we united in calling, but we are united in Christ-like character and conduct. What does it look like to live worthy of our calling? Like practically speaking, what does it look like for us to live worthy of our calling? It looks like Jesus. It looks like people, followers of Christ, who are, who are living their lives trying to live into love like Jesus every single day. He, he, he gives this list of, of different things. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure you're humble and gentle. You're patient with each other. You make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Jesus, he lived this out perfectly. He, he lived this out Perfectly, and if we're going to experience this unity in this living life worthy of the calling, then as his followers, our goal, our desire should be to live like Jesus together in this world. It says it like this in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, you must have the same attitude of Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross the more we we look like Jesus in our individual lives the more that every single one of us, if you're a follower of Christ, you, 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 you understand that there is a job that you have to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to, to walk like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to love like Jesus. The more that we, we aim to do that in our individual lives and the more that we live this out in community, in relationships, the more united we become. It's, it's that simple and also that difficult at the same time. But that's our calling. That's what we're called to do, to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus. The greatest way that we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we can walk like Christ in Christian character and conduct is to actively make sure that we are not doing the opposite of those things. Because for many of us, it's easy for, it's hard for us to identify when we're doing those things, but it's really easy to see when we're doing the opposite of those things. Like how many of you, if you have kids, you can tell when they're doing the wrong thing, it's often harder to point out when they're doing the right thing. You know when they're doing something they shouldn't do because it's obvious. They're like yelling about the murder of their sibling, like that's bad, we don't want you doing that. But when they do something encouraging, it's often harder for us to point that out. And so it's easy for us to sometimes know when we're doing the opposite of those things. And so what do we do? We have to to just make sure that we're not walking in the opposite way. So for instance, it's hard for us to walk in humility. It's impossible for us to walk in humility when we are constantly allowing our pride and our, our selfishness and our selfish desires to guide us. When we show up and our mindset is all about me and all about what I want and all about my desires and it's not about each other, it's really, really hard for us to walk in humility and be humble when we are constantly allowing our pride and our selfishness to get in the way. It's really hard for us to practice being gentle if we are constantly harsh with one another. It's really difficult for us to practice patience with each other when we are just so quick to lose our cool with each other, when we are so quick to turn our backs on each other, when we are so quick to give up on each other. It's hard for us to bear each other's faults in love. And that, listen, I want you to understand that doesn't mean we just say anything goes, but it means we give each other grace. We give each other mercy. It's hard for us though to do that, to forgive each other and to do all of those things when we constantly are holding on to our unforgiveness and our bitterness and our desire to hold on and say, listen, I have the right to be upset. I have the right to hold on to this. I don't have to forgive anybody. That's not true. If you're in Christ, you don't have that right anymore because God has called you to forgive as you've been forgiven. You understand? Like it's hard for us to live out the way that God has called us to live if we're constantly living and doing the opposite. And so really what this comes down to is this comes down to this idea of walking in the Spirit, walking submitted to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. You cannot at the same time be walking submitted to the Holy Spirit and walking in your flesh. Like, those two things are at war with each other. And so in Galatians, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about this. And so I want to read a couple verses, verses 16 through 17, and then verses 24 through 25, because it's very, very practical. He says, "'So I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives.'" Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. For the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. How many of you have ever felt that? You felt that kind of internal battle. I feel like there's a war going on and it's right inside of me. I want to do the right things and I'm struggling because I constantly do the wrong things. Since the the Holy Spirit is at war with that sinful nature and it's impossible for us to walk, submitted to the Holy Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives at the same time producing the, 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 the fruit of our flesh. We cannot do both. And so he says that in verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. It's this idea of dying to your flesh every single day. Right? Like, that's a a daily thing. We constantly are saying no to ourselves, no to our flesh, and yes to the Holy Spirit in our lives. It says in verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I like to think about the Holy Spirit and this idea of walking the Spirit is literally a walk. Like, every single day, taking steps, letting the Holy Spirit lead our lives. It's not like we just wake up and be like, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm going to produce the fruit of the spirit of my life. Look, I just am full of joy and peace and kindness and patience. Like anybody, that it was you. Maybe you were more patient than you were before, but it's still a struggle. If you have kids and you've developed and, and you've fully developed the, the gift of patience, you're Jesus. Thank you for coming to our church. We're so glad you're here. The reality is like there is times where, where all of those gifts are not manifest in our lives. But in the moments when we are walking in step Step in step with the Spirit's leading in our lives, we produce those things, that Christian character. And then the last thing he talks about is not only our calling and our conduct, but he also talks about that we need to be united in our convictions. Convictions are those most important things that we live for. And so Paul takes time to remind the church in Ephesus, to remind us as the body of Christ, those most important things, those things that unite us, those things that make us one, he says, you are one body, you have one spirit, you have one glorious hope and future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one in God and Father over all, who is in all, working through all. Why does he take time to talk about these things? Why does he take time to remind us of these things? Because oftentimes we have to remember, if we're going to walk in unity, that what brings us together, what unites us, is greater than the things that we often allow to divide us. We fight in the church sometimes about the dumbest stuff. We've seen churches split because of carpet color. That's stupid. That's called completely missing the point. So any of those times, and listen, we're going to have disagreements. We're not going to always see, ah, we're different. When we have those moments, and when those, we're allowing those, those moments, those little things to become the big things, he says, we need to bring it back to the most important things. One spirit, one God, one hope. One Lord and Savior who has saved us and adopted us and brought us into his family. One God who is working in and through every single one of you as followers of Christ. Stop focusing on the things that divide us and let's make sure that we're focusing on the things that unite us. First sign of a healthy church, unity. United in calling, united in conduct and character, united in convictions. The second characteristic we're gonna see in this portion of scripture, healthy bodies are fully functioning bodies. Can I just say this, unity does not mean sameness. Unity does not mean uniformity. Doesn't mean we all come in here, we all talk the same way, we all dress the same way, we don't have a uniform for church, if you've noticed. Like, we don't, it's not about uniformity, it's not about all of us being the same. Fact is, God has created all of us different. He's given all of us different gifts, talents, and abilities, and the purpose of those things is to be a blessing, to grow the church, to bless the church, to be a blessing to the body of Christ. So he goes on to say in verses seven through 12, he says this, he says, however, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. This is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended, which clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. The same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself now these are the gifts that christ gave to the church the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and the teachers their responsibility is to equip god's people to do his work and to build up the church the body of christ these verses are clear that if you are a part of the body of christ you've been given gifts from christ every single one of you if you are in christ you are gifted you are talented god has given you abilities He has poured them out in your life. He has given you a special measure of grace. This isn't talking about that saving grace. This is talking about the grace to give you gifts and abilities that are meant to be used to be a blessing to the church and to build the church up. Everyone is needed. Every gift is important. When you don't use the gifts that God has given you, when you don't do your part, can I tell you something? Because we're a part of the body, it doesn't affect just you. See, we live in a society that oftentimes is very self-focused, right? Like it's just very, very consumed with ourselves, very, very consumed with our desires, our wants. And so we're used to thinking that the world is about us and, and, and we're not really connected to each other. And what I do doesn't affect any other people. But he's clear that we are a body. And when every single person is not doing their part, it doesn't just affect the person who's not doing their part. It affects all of us. It keeps us from functioning the way that we're supposed to be. It goes on to, to kind of say it in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11, says it like this. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Again, you're gifted. God has given you those gifts, and the best use of those gifts is to serve. Using your gifts to serve others. And he goes on to say, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. We don't have time to look at all the other verses that kind of confirm this and speak to this, but I want to encourage you, write this down or highlight this, put this somewhere, but take time this week to read Romans chapter 12. Take time this week to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because in those portions of scripture, they even further kind of explore this idea of the fact that we are the body of Christ, that every single one of us has gifts, talents, and abilities, and that as part of the body of Christ, everything that God has given us is important, is valuable, and is needed in order to help the body function the way we're supposed to. Ultimately, I would say this, just like our physical bodies have many parts, And all of those parts are important. So does our spiritual body have many parts. And we all need to do our part to function fully. In verses 11 through 12, he goes on and he talks about the the gifts that God has given When it comes to church leadership, he says there's these roles of apostles and prophets and evangelists and and teachers and preachers, shepherds, all these different roles. And he talks about the importance of those roles. And I want you to understand something. I want you to look again at what he says there. What what does he say? He says, their job is to do everything. Did you see that in there? Because I didn't see it in there. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is hard sometimes to preach because it feels self-serving if I'm honest with you, and honestly, like, my mentality, my dad's been a a pastor my entire life, and I saw him leading the way, serving all the time, and there was never a job that he wasn't willing to do, and so that's my, I want that to be my mentality, my heart, and that will never, never change, but there's, there's been times that I've had to realize that I can't do everything, and not only that I can't do everything, I'm not called to do everything, why? Because if we did everything, the church would be very ineffective, there would be a serious lid on what we were able to accomplish for God. And so he doesn't say, listen, their job is to do all the stuff. Their job is to do everything. He says, no, their job is to encourage you and equip you to do the work of ministry and to build the church. My job, primarily as a pastor, I always like to think of it as almost like a player coach. You ever read about a person who's like a player coach? We're part of the game. We want to play. We're in the game. We want to serve with you and everything like that. But it's also our responsibility to coach you as well to reach your full potential, to be who God has called you to be, to use your gifts, talents, and abilities. That's really what it is. We're here. We're going to serve. We're going to lead the way. But we also need to make sure that we are equipping you and challenging you to use your gifts, talents, and abilities because we don't function fully when it's just us doing things and not everybody else using their gifts, talents, and abilities. I think about our church sometimes. And and I'll be honest, I love our church I think about what God has been able to do even over the last year and a half, as you know, with COVID and everything else. And we've been able to not take steps backwards, but take steps forward, open a second campus, continue to reach a whole new community with the gospel. God has been doing great things in our church. God has been so faithful to us during the season through you guys that are part of this church. But I also think about our church, and I often look around, and I don't know as many people at this campus as I do in Pittsburgh, but I'll look around on a Sunday morning, and I'll look at our campus, and I'll see all the people who are serving using their gifts, talents, and abilities, but I'll also see how many more there are that are still not using those gifts, talents, and abilities, how many more there are that are still kind of sitting on the sideline, how many more there are that haven't taken that step from consumer to contributor and I look and I say, God, you've done so many great things. You've, you've used this church to be such a blessing in our community, a blessing around the world. You've allowed us to continue to do ministry, but how much more? How much more would we be able to accomplish if everybody just stepped into their part? How much more lives would we be able to see impacted for the gospel? How much more difference would we be able to make with organizations like Convoy of Hope? How many more community service projects and everything else would we be able to accomplish if everybody understood that they had a part to play and stepped into that role? Understanding that everyone is needed, everyone is important, and we need each other to function. Like some of us right now, we're operating as a broken foot. And that's not your spiritual gift. And I don't say that to be harsh. I say that to encourage you and to challenge you. When you don't do what God has called you to do, because you belong to the body, we belong to each other, when you don't use your gifts, talents, and abilities, It doesn't just affect you. It affects all of us and keeps us from being who God has called us to be. Healthy bodies are fully functioning bodies. And the last characteristic we see, healthy bodies are growing. Healthy things grow. It's just the reality. Think about when you decide to get healthy in your life and you start to eat well and you start to go to the gym. You grow in the right places. Unhealthy, you grow in the wrong ways. You grow it's not where you want to grow. When you're healthy and you're doing the right thing, you grow the right way. And we want to make sure that we are a healthy body that is growing. Verse 13 through 16, he finishes by saying this. This will continue (coughs) until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of the Son, of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, his church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love healthy bodies are growing bodies. Are we growing? Are we a growing body? Now, when I talk about this, I'm not talking about just numerical growth because we are growing numerically. We've seen ourselves grow since we've opened back up after COVID. We've seen ourselves get to more than we were spread out over two campuses, but more than we were before. But can I just be honest with you? Numerical growth is great, but numerical growth is not always the greatest sign of health. That's that's just not it. I mean like that is it should be an overflow of health, but it's not the only sign of health. In fact, there's other things that are more important when it comes to growing that will actually lead even more to real numerical growth. But ultimately, are we growing? Are we continuing to take steps Paul talks about a few areas that we should be growing when it comes to the church, that we should be growing in our walk with the Lord, and that together we should be a church that's full of people who are growing in this way. The first thing he talks about is he says we need to grow in faith and knowledge. A healthy church is one where its people are continuing to grow in their faith and knowledge. They're continuing to grow in their faith, taking greater steps in faith, believing God for more, trusting God in ways they haven't trusted before. Why? Because they've experienced His faithfulness in their life. And so they're not afraid to continue taking those steps in faith. Are we growing in our faith? Are we growing in knowledge? There is so many churches that are full of, of biblically illiterate people that, that are not growing, that know the basics, but have never taken steps to grow. In their, in their faith, to never grow deeper in God's word, understanding God's word. And again, it's not just about knowledge, because if we don't apply the knowledge, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But when we have the knowledge and we apply it to our life, that leads to transformation. It leads to that, what we talked about in the beginning, those beliefs who lead to transformed behavior. So are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you taking steps to get in God's word? This is what it says in 2 Peter 3, 18. It says, rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we do this? Well, fortunately, we have God's word. We have God's word, which enables us to grow, which challenges, which shows us. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is inspired by God. Or God breathed and is useful to teach us what is true And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. How many of you ever had a time where you were reading God's word and you were like, hmm. Yeah, that's convicting. It could be a scripture you've read many times and you read it and it's like the Holy Spirit in that moment goes, yeah, that's an area that you need to work on. That's an area where you're not living up to your, your calling. And it's like God's word becomes alive. Why? Because the Bible is living and active. It's not just a a, a dusty old history book. It's a book that is alive, that is life-changing, that teaches us how to live and what we should do to follow God. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. God has given you everything you need to live the life that honors him. Do you understand that? God has given you, if you're a follower of Christ, everything you need you have. Everything you need to live the life that God has called you to live is available to you. You have everything at your fingertips, but are you growing? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Are you growing in your faith? Are you taking those steps? And and, and not only individually, but as a whole, as a church, are we growing? Are we becoming more faithful as a church? Are we growing in our passion for God's word? Are we growing in our knowledge for God? Another area he talks about when we grow in our faith and knowledge, it leads to a growth in maturity, the more we grow in our faith and knowledge, the more mature we become. He says, you'll no longer be like children. How many of you have children? How many of you, your children, are gullible? Come on, let's, like how many of you, let's just, we can, part- they, they're gullible? Like they'll believe, th- especially when they're young, they'll believe things? I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, years ago, before we, when we only had two, it was just late in the land, and I can remember one night we were at the Plymouth Meeting Mall. I think we were coming home from the zoo. And, and we stopped at the Plymouth Meeting Mall for dinner, and when we got back in the car, I don't know what started this, but I started to talk like a robot. And I had my kids convinced that I was a robot named Dadbot, and that I replaced their dad. And when I say it, I, I think that's really bad parenting. But... It was funny um, and cheap entertainment for myself. And I didn't realize they believed me until like weeks later, my, my daughter, as we were praying before bed, she was like, I don't want dad bot to come back. Um, and I was like, Layton, that was daddy the whole time. I know I'm a really good actor, but that was, I was not a robot. It was always me. I apologize if you actually, but I didn't realize how gullible they can be with stuff like that, how impressionable they can be. And what he's saying, he says, at some point, we need to, we need to grow up in our faith. We gotta grow up, we can't be kids anymore in our faith. We have to mature in our faith. What do you, what do you think it looks like when you're a kid in your faith and you're, you're not growing to that maturity? He says, well, what happens is you're constantly tossed every time there's a, a storm that you go through in life, every time you go through something difficult. If you're, if you're immature in your faith, every time you go through something difficult in your life, you kind of fall off the, the, the cliff. You fall away from God. You run to other things instead of running to God. Why? Because you're immature in your faith. You haven't grown up in your faith. Or, or anytime you hear a new teaching that sounds good, but really is not the truth of God's word, instead of knowing God's word and the truth, you fall for that false teaching. It might sound good, but it might not actually be true, but you fall for it. Why? Because you're not grown up and maturing in your faith. It says when you're mature, you don't fall for those things. When you're maturing, you don't fall for those traps. You're growing, you're, you, you're able to stand firm even in the trials that you go through in life. Some of us, we're still drinking out of a bottle when we should be eating, eating solid foods. Since says we need to be growing. You need to be growing in your, in your faith. That's why we take time here to preach God's word because we want you to grow. But can I just tell you, if this is the only time you're in God's word, if this is the only time in your life during the week where, where you take time in God's word to pray or worship, anything else, it's not enough. You'll always stay as that gullible little child when you're called to be mature, growing into your, your faith. This so we should be growing to maturity. And then the last thing he talks about is we need to grow in our ability to speak the truth in love. When we are growing in our faith and knowledge, when we are growing in maturity, it brings us to the place to a place where we are able to speak the truth in love. And, and I want to be very clear. There is something as something called absolute truth. I know we live in a world that's constantly about hey, just speak your truth. Just got to speak your truth. Just tell your truth. And the problem is if everybody has a truth, then there's no thing as truth. Like if everybody's truth is truth, then there's actually no truth. What we often confuse as truth is actually just our our feelings. And we live based on our feelings and our emotions. And we say, well, that's just my truth. But no, that's actually just your feelings and your emotions. And can I tell you, living based on your emotions and your feelings is a really bad way to live because your heart is deceitful above all else and you're a sinner. And I'm a sinner. And if I live based off of my heart and my emotions, my, my heart and my emotions will often take me in places that I'm not supposed to go. It's not just about our truth, it's about the truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty, pretty bold. You can't just say Jesus is a good teacher. He's just a good person. No, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is absolute truth. There is truth that is not objective, that's not based on conditions, that that does not change. It is Jesus. We live in a world that's constantly saying, "This this is right, what is wrong, and what is wrong is right, but it doesn't change that Jesus is the truth, that he is the way, that he is the life. And we need to learn to speak the truth, but we need to make sure that we're speaking the truth in love. Because some of us, we're really good at speaking the truth. We just haven't got the love part down. Like, we're good at speaking the truth. We know the truth. We speak the truth. We just don't know how to speak the truth in love. And can I just be honest with you? It starts internally. Because this portion of Scripture is, is, is spoken to the body of Christ. Like, we think our, our, main, our main job as followers of Christ is to speak the truth to the world. But that's not our main job. Like, we get, we get confused sometimes when the world lives like the world. Like we're, conf- we're, we're surprised when the world lives sinful and the world does things that are opposite of God's will and God's way. And we say, well, it doesn't, shouldn't surprise us because they don't know the truth of God. They've not experienced the truth that is Jesus Christ. And so their lives are not going to live up. And so if we want to earn the right to speak the truth in love to those outside of our body, then we need to be okay with speaking the truth in love to those inside of the body. And I'll be honest with you, I'm much more concerned when the when the church looks like the world than I am when the world looks like the world. Like I'm much more concerned when we look at our churches and we see each other in our churches, other people who say they're part of the body of Christ, but they live as they're not part of the body of Christ and we don't, we're don't. we not willing to speak the truth of love to them. We're not willing to speak the truth of love to each other, not from a place of condemnation, not from a place of judgment, but a place of love. Why? Because we belong to each other. It's like when, you're, when your body hurts, like if you're, you're, my, my son has a broken femur right now. I mean, just imagine we just want like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's just your femur. It's not an important bone. You'll be fine. We do the same thing though to each other. We see each other living and struggling in sin, knowing that we're part of the same body, but we don't take the time to take care of each other, to speak the truth in love to each other, to help each other be who God has called us to be. We allow things that we should not allow inside the body of Christ. And we wonder why our body is not functioning the way it's supposed to function. We have to be willing to speak the truth in love. And can I just say this, real truth always comes from a place of love. That's why Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 13, verses one through three. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all of the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body that I could boast about it, but I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Everything we do needs to be done in love. Love for each other, for, our, for the body of Christ, needs to be at the root of everything we do. When we love loudly, we earn the right to speak truth loudly. I heard somebody say it like this years ago, and it's always stuck with me, and maybe you've heard this saying, but... Said simply, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Like People don't care about how much you know. They don't care about all the truth in the world that you know if they don't first understand and know how much you, you care. And so we want to be bold in our ability to speak the truth. We want to be bold in our ability to speak the truth in love here first. We want to be bold in our ability to speak the truth in love out into a world that needs the hope of Christ, but we need to make sure that we are speaking the truth in love from a place of, of love This morning as we close, we're going to close with worship and communion. And so if you didn't get communion when you came in and you'd like to take communion as we worship in just a moment, would you just raise your hand and we'll make sure that um, some of the greeters come around and get you that. But would you stand with me as we close today? Can I just uh, encourage you to know that we, we need each other? Like, you are, you are needed. You are gifted. God has called you. He has brought you here, if this is your church. And he has brought you here, brought you into the family of God, adopted you into his body. If he, he's done that, it's, it's happened for a reason. And you have a part to play. We're not made to do this on our own. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. We are connected as a body. And spiritually healthy Christians, followers of Christ, which is what we should all be aiming to be, lead to a spiritually healthy body. And when we are a spiritually healthy body, that's a world-changing body. That's a body that can be impactful in the kingdom. And God has done great things, but I believe that there's more that God wants to do and that God can do. But we will never do what God has called us to do and be who God has called us to be until every single one of us does our part. We will never accomplish it until we understand that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves and we're all needed, we all have a part to play. As we close with worship, communion, first and foremost, I wanna give an opportunity for maybe if you're here and you don't know Christ yet. We do this every single week, we will never not do this because this is why we exist. We always wanna give people opportunity if God is tugging at your heart, God is calling to you today and today's that day you need to step take that that step walking into a relationship with God beginning that relationship with God being adopted into his family can I tell you the good news is that you don't have to do anything to make yourselves worthy because you can't do anything to make yourselves worthy but but God through Christ did everything for you the Bible says that he became your sin who knew no sin that you might become right with God the righteousness of God today that relationship starts by simply surrendering your life to Jesus. God, my life is yours. God, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I receive your mercy from this day forward. I want to live as a follower of you, walking in your body, part of your body, receiving what only Jesus could do for you. So if there's anybody in here today who's never made that decision, who say, today is that day, I want to begin as a follower of Christ, would you just raise your hand? I'm going to look around for just a second. there's anybody here today I don't see any hands, so I'm gonna assume that means we're all part of God's family. So that means the challenge is for you. If you're a part of God's family, whether this is your church or not, maybe you're just visiting and this is not your church family yet. I don't, I'm not gonna challenge you in, in, in our personal family way, but if you're part of this family, you're a follower of Christ who's part of this family, but you've kind of been sitting on the sidelines, you've been showing up, but you haven't taken that step You're still living kind of as a consumer. You haven't taken that step to contributor. Maybe your excuse is, I just don't, I don't think I'm gifted. I don't think I have anything to offer. Well, if you say that you're calling God a liar because he says you have been gifted and he has given you gifts, talents and abilities from his reserve of gifts. And those gifts are not about you. They're not for your glory. They're not for your benefit. They're actually for the benefit of his church, his body and his glory in the world. And when you don't do your part, it doesn't just affect you it affects all of us and so I simply want to challenge you today to pray and ask what it is that God wants you to do how you're called to be a part of the body and listen I don't want you to just pray about it because what we do sometimes if we're honest is we use prayer as an excuse for inactivity I'll just pray about it now I want you to pray about it and I know that God's going to speak to you and he's going to show you and then I want you to actually do something about it knowing that God has so much more that he wants to do in and through us as a body. And our goal and our desire is to be a healthy body. So Father, today, I thank you for every single person in this room. But first and foremost, if we are followers of you, if we are Christ's followers, God, that you've adopted us, you've brought us in to your family, we are part of your body and you are the head of this body. That means we follow your direction and your leading. But as it says at the end of those verses, as we do our part, as everybody does their part, God, the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And we wanna be a body that is healthy and growing and full of love. God, we know that we cannot speak health to a world that is broken in need of health if we are unhealthy. So God, let us be healthy. Let us be growing. Let us be united. Let us be fully functioning, God, and let us continue to make a difference in this world for you and for your kingdom, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.